economics. I'll pray for us before we start. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you uh, for your word and we pray now that our, both our ears would be opened but also that we would be not just listening with our ears but we'd be listening with our heart. Amen. So we're starting this um, new uh, series on Ephesians and we are on page 1173 of the Bibles. And I'm going to read uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him, we were also chosen having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purposes of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. Thank you, Simon. Good morning. I'm Colin. Good to have you with us here this morning. I've got my sermon with me today. I've double-checked everything. I wonder, is there anything that gets you really excited and really much more exuberant than you normally are, you know, really putting yourself out there, um, uh, gets you so, so um, excited that your words just spill out almost out of control. Um, Sharon and I have got a, a good friend, an Italian girl, lives in Italy, and so when we lived in the UK, most years would get to go on holiday and stay with her family. And we were there once during um, France 98 World Cup, FIFA World Cup, proper football, soccer, that kind of thing. And um, um, our friend's mum, she, she's quite um, uh, an exuberant Italian lady anyway, but it was only like a group stage match where Italy were playing, and she went nuts. I can't speak Italian, but you know, you get the idea, hands waving and shouting at the TV, um, and her husband just, he's, the opposite is really calm to go in, calming her down. So then it got me thinking, when eventually Italy won the World Cup, in 2006, I thought, what must she have been like then when they won the final? So I asked my friend, how did your mum go during the final? And she laughed. She said, she was on a religious retreat. 
a silent retreat. <laughs> now, today's passage, from verse 3 onwards, it's actually in the original language, all one long sentence. Like, I thought it would be a bit unkind to get Simon to read it out in one long sentence. He'd probably pass out. And it's like the Apostle Paul, who's written this letter, um, has been building up inside of him all these amazing truths that make him want to praise God. And you can just see him waiting for the scribe to arrive. The scribe arrives, he says, write this down quick. It's, it all pours out. It just kind of splurges. And there's a sense of awe and wonder as he rattles off all these reasons to praise God. So that's the aim today, to, for us to see how much there is to praise God for. Because I reckon that's uh, why Paul puts this bit in the letter. Uh, um, if you look, keep your Bibles open, we'll keep looking at this passage and it's bookended with praise, isn't it? Verse 3, praise be to God. And then verse 14, to the praise of his glory. So all about praise, reasons to praise God. So we're getting into this, this new series in Ephesians. So um, what do we know about um, this book of Ephesians? It's always wise when you get into a new book of the Bible to work out who wrote it, who to, and why. So if you have a look at verse 1 there, we know it's from Paul. So Paul is the man who used to persecute Christians, but was converted when he became an apostle. That is, an eyewitness, an eyewitness of the risen Jesus. Um, And the best evidence we've got is that Paul's writing this letter when he was imprisoned in Rome, about AD 62. Um, We know it's written for Christians, God's holy people, in Ephesus, Uh, Ephesus, Paul had lived there for about two and a half years, sharing the gospel, doing ministry. Um, Ephesus is in modern-day Turkey. Um, And it was a big deal. We're not talking about a backwater here. It was a major port. It was the leading city in the Roman Empire's richest region. Population, about a quarter of a million people. So in ancient city terms, a, a big place. No backwater. And belief-wise, um, there were some Jews in Ephesus, but there was um, lots of different pagan, sort of animistic nature gods, lots of different religious belief, any, any which you could pick or choose. You, know, you didn't have to stick with one. You, you could, people would mix and match. Um, the main deity was um, a god called Artemis, or Diana. Um, and she was a big deal in Ephesus. So the temple... Was what, her temple was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was four times the size of the Parthenon in Greece. Um, she was on the coins. They had processions for her twice a week through the city, that kind of thing. So the, the picture you get of Ephesus is superstition, use of sorcery and magic, fear of evil spirits and idolatry, all just part of the day-to-day fabric of society. Uh, there's a... Uh, if you want to get more of an idea, go into Acts 19. I'll just tell you one verse from this. There's been an incident where, um, that frightens the newly converted believers and puts them in awe of Jesus. So I think it's on the screen, 19, Acts 19, 19. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the toll came to 50,000 drachmas. Well, so a drachma is a day's wage. So even if I don't know if it's 100 bucks. My math is probably out. Even if it's $100, that's like uh, $500,000. That's a lot of money. A fortune, because sorcery 
was where they turned to for, uh, for meaning and purpose and health and security, where they turned with all their fears. Which is a bit hard for us to relate to, isn't it? But just as, as our culture seeks meaning in sort of, and purpose and security and scientific rationalism and material things, so the Ephesians sort it in sorcery and reading the stars, that kind of things. So two, we're different, they're different, but all of us can listen to this letter from Paul as he shows them and us how things really are. That, that the only way we can really find the peace and purpose that we're made for is in Christ. So what we'll do, we'll go through the passage, but it's built around a pinnacle, like a center point in verse 10, which tells us God's master plan for all creation. That first point on your leaflet said, God's master plan. So we'll pick it up kind of mid-splurge, verse 9. He, that's God the Father, made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. All creation is heading towards being united under Christ. Uh, Some translations have it summed up in Christ. So that means not only is Jesus sort of the agent, the way which um, God God brings the universe into perfect harmony. He's also kind of the sphere in which it happens, the focal point of all existence and meaning. And just to be clear what this isn't saying, this isn't a, a universalism, uh, saying that everyone, Christian or not, is going to be saved into eternal life with God. No, because we've got the rest of the Bible and some of Ephesians that tells us that those who reject Jesus, who reject this unity, are judged and under God's wrath. But yeah, this summed up in Jesus is quite a concept to get our heads around. So a good way to understand it is, um, we'll see when we get to chapter 4, it's understand it as God's making a new human. Okay, God's making a new human. Jesus is the head, and we, the church, are, are his body. And his enemies are beneath his feet. We won't go there now, but if you go back to Genesis 3, you see humanity was supposed to share in God's perfect goodness, love and grace, be in perfect relationship with him, um, uh, ruling over this world. But we rebelled. We chose sin instead of perfect harmony with God and his creation. And so we were excluded from Eden uh, and our world was cursed. But now the mystery is solved. Jesus is the perfect human. And everything and everyone included, summed up, unified in him, is restored to perfect, eternal harmony, sharing in in the love and grace and goodness of God. No evil, no suffering. And so as we get into the rest of Ephesians, uh, it's showing us how this has happened, how it is happening, and how it's still yet to happen. But whatever, whatever you get from this series, don't miss this. It's about Jesus. Okay? He's in nearly every paragraph. I mean, just in today's passage, 
there's those, that phrase, in Christ, you probably noticed, or something like it. It's there 11 times. So what does that mean, in Christ? Well, it means any Christian, anyone who belongs to Jesus, is kind of incorporated in Christ. We're, we're looked upon by God as if we had Jesus' perfect record of sinlessness, as if we had Jesus' perfect glory. As Jesus has been resurrected, so we will be. As Jesus is fully pleasing to God, so we are. So that's where the universe is heading. God's master plan. We're in on the secret. We'll see that that if we're Christian, we're already considered part of that unity under Christ. If you're not a Christian... If this is where everything's headed, and it is, doesn't it make sense to be on board with the plan? Uh, There's no mystery. Jesus is what life, the universe, and everything is all about. And you can enter into personal relationship with him, even today. Um, For us Christians, I think uh, the danger is, we can be like a swimmer, trying to swim out towards a pontoon in the sea, or something, or a boy. Uh, who keeps neglecting to look up and check where they're going. You can drift off course. Uh, we can forget where we're heading and live as if other things are more important. But we can praise God that we know where we're headed. Um, people often talk about trying to work out God's will for their life, don't they? I've heard people talk like that. Um, as if there's some sort of narrowly defined plan that God's got and he's waiting for you to guess what it is. And if you put a step wrong, then God will have to sort of catch up with your plans. But right here, we know what God's grand plan is. And so that's our lens for all our decisions, all our working out what to do. So what job should I do? Well, what job is going to best help you Joining God's mission of unifying everything under Christ. Who should I marry or should I stay single or what about all that? Well, which is best going to help you love and serve God's people and share the gospel and keep growing in spiritual maturity? Where should I live? Is it going to be near enough a good church that you get there regularly to keep growing? Or is it going to saddle you with such an enormous debt that... that, That's all you think about, and it prevents you giving to gospel ministry. Use that lens of God's master plan for all your decisions. See, we're freed from trying to second-guess God. We're freed from trying to generate our own meaning or or guess at a future for humanity and creation. So praise God that he's made known to us the mystery of his will. So that's one of the things to give God praise about. He's known the mystery of his will. Let's go back uh, to verse 3 now and see what else we can get excited about. So there's that. Verse 3 is kind of um, a summary statement that tells us how God has blessed us. Excuse me. Verse 3, summary statement, how God's blessed us, but in a particular way. Verse 3, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. God has blessed us. That's kind of past tense, sense of a completed act. 
It's a done deal. God has blessed us. So the blessings we're about to look at are ours. They're guaranteed for eternity, okay? They're real. But they're spiritual blessings. That is, they're of, they're pertaining to, they've got to do with God's Holy Spirit. And he's blessed us in the heavenly realms. So I guess the bit of creation that we can't see. So yes, these blessings are real, but not yet fully realized. Uh, For now... They're invisible. They're in the heavenly realms. Uh, they're connected with the physical realm because ultimately everything will be unified under Christ. Um, we'll see when we get to looking at the church that the heavenly realms is looking at the church and the church is sending a message to the heavenly realms and things like that. Um, but have a look at this picture. When I send out the weekly email, and thank you to the 56% of you that do actually open the email... Those of you who don't, I know who you are. So, you know. When I send out the weekly email, I get this screen just before, uh, from the software just before I send it. Um, once that button's clicked, off it goes to 119 people, spelling mistakes and all, everything in there. No turning back. These blessings that we have been given have been set in motion in such a way to make them inevitable. They have to happen. There's no turning back. Um, I've heard some churches teach that if something's going wrong with your life, um, then there must be something wrong with your faith. That we should be living victoriously, um, claiming these blessings as fully realised in the here and now. But that's not right. Don't be deceived into thinking that suffering the mess of this world, suffering pain, the pain and sin, um, and suffering persecution of a sign of you not being in God's plan. Uh, you are in Christ, and Christ suffered. So these blessings do begin now, but will not be fully realized until we fully see the heavenlies when Jesus unites everything. We have these blessings on faith, on promise, and we live in light of the fact that they are true in the here and now. And that's a really hard thing to do, which is why the next section, what we'll look at next week, is all prayer. So let's have a look at these spiritual blessings that we have been given in the past to know and partially enjoy in the present to be fully received in the future. So we've got a list of things there in your leaf first. Praise God that we are. So first one, verse four. Praise God we are chosen for holiness. Verse four, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. God picked you to be holy and blameless before the creation of the world. Just let that sink in. If you think of um, a Bible timeline, it doesn't start at Genesis. Before that, uh, you you were the prequel to Genesis. You, you were like the Bible's rogue one. Okay? So before there was Bodicea or Boudicca, there was Val Bull's name on the list. Before there was Ben-Hur, there was Ben Chapman included in the plan. Before the Mona Lisa, 
There was Lisa. Written on God's role. In Christ. You aren't a random speck in the universe. You are loved by God. In eternity. In Jesus. I always hated PE at school. Seems to me PE is the only lesson where the teacher has a go at you for not already knowing how to do it. And we had um, an all-weather pitch, they called it, which just meant it was awful in all weathers. <laughs> made of this kind of orangey shale that was guaranteed to cut you when, you when you fell on it. But the worst thing was getting picked for teams. Anybody else been through this? You know, there's got to be a more imaginative way of choosing the teams and then getting the best kid to choose the team. Because I was always I was the, the scrawny late developer, so always the last one to get picked. It's so humiliating, isn't it? But God picked you first, not because of anything you'd done. None of us can boast, but so that you would end up holy and blameless, united under Christ. We were chosen for holiness. We were also predestined for adoption in love. Um, The end of verse 4 to verse 6. God does everything needed to make sure sure we're fully part of his plan. So from the end of verse 4. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. To the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. See, we don't have to worry if there's a a bit of our salvation that God has left to chance or or that can be taken away. Nothing's left to chance. No, No bit of our salvation is left to us. God initiates, he makes happen, and he brings to completion our salvation from beginning to end. But someone might say, but I chose of my own free will to follow Jesus. That's true, but only because God chose you in eternity to do so. Only because God released you from ignorance and and darkened understanding. All the credit goes back to God. Isn't that reassuring? You're safe in God's plan. To put everything under Christ. Because he put you there. He's predestined you for adoption. uh, To be given the same status in God's household as Jesus himself. Praise God. But that throws up a question, doesn't it? Someone else might say, well, if God chooses some, does that mean he's deliberately not chosen others? Does that mean God's chosen people to go to hell? A couple of things to say about that. Um, this idea of predestination, it's in Ephesians, it's in the Bible, God's word here, as a blessing. So as a reason to praise God. A reassuring thing for believers. And the Bible never um, directly addresses that, that logical flip side of the coin. And so we have to leave the tension unresolved. If you hear a pat answer to that, that tension, it's not from the Bible. But we do know from the rest of the Bible that God is perfectly loving, perfectly just, perfectly fair. 
So let's have a look in these verses at God's motivation for predestining us to adoption. Verse 4, he does this in love. And verse 5, in accordance with his pleasure and will. And we'll see that phrase, in accordance with his pleasure and will. We'll see it again in verse 9 and, and verse 11. It's got, um, what does that mean? I mean? It's got the kind of sense of warmth and joy that God feels in executing his plans. So, for example, in our house, before one of the children's birthdays, we're always up till daft o'clock the night before, getting the presents ready, wrapping them up, arranging them nicely. We've got a, a tatty happy birthday banner that's, that's our tradition. We've had it since Robert's third birthday, and that always gets put up across the doorway. And we always feel like, you know, kind of the warm fuzzies as, we do, as, we're, as we're executing our plans, knowing the, the goodness and the joy that they'll bring. And that, that's me, grumpy bloke, up too late. Imagine then God, who doesn't have any bad motives, any poor motives, only wants what is good. In his love, he has chosen your adoption because he knew that would be a good thing. He also does it, verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace. And there's similar phrases in verse 12 and verse 14. And thank you for putting on with two new songs. I want to do that first song because it's got these lines directly from Ephesians. It's a really good one for us to be singing. For the praise of his, to the praise of his glorious grace. So what, is God just showing off? Is he kind of like showboating and hey, look at me? Well, the thing is, what God is showing off He's really good. It's the ultimate good for us. His grace. His undeserved free gift of sharing his perfect love and self-giving fellowship with us. So his his grace is praised because he gives it away for our good freely. And as we praise him, we join in the goodness of this grace. So if that's that's God showing off, let him be the center of attention, I say. So let's trust God with that logical problem of election, of predestination. Let's still do evangelism, because the Bible's clear. That's how people are saved, by hearing the gospel. And we can do evangelism confident that God will do what only he can do, and change hearts. Let's let God be God. How he runs the show is more perfect and loving than we could ever think of, and praise him for it. So chosen for holiness, predestined for adoption, we're redeemed and forgiven, verses 7 and 8. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. See, we were created to be at peace with God, but we break the relationship. We reject the good pleasure of God in favor of our own. We deserve to be judged by God. We deserve to be excluded from his master plan. But instead, Jesus, the one who the plan is all about, the point of it, gave himself up to suffering and death to pay the price for us and forgive us. Us, the very ones who rejected God, so that we can be included in God's master plan. And why? Verse 7, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. So by grace, God has solved humanity's problem, set in motion his plan to allow sinful humanity 
to be unified under Christ. Finding a way for God to be perfectly holy and just, whilst also being perfectly loving and merciful, full of grace. Praise God. Chosen for holiness, predestined, redeemed and forgiven. And finally, we're in on the secret. So I won't go back to that, but as we've seen in the big God's master plan, God hasn't left us in the dark. He's let us know what the plan is so we can live as part of it. Praise God. So on to this final paragraph, verses 11 to 14. It's a paragraph in our NIV so that we don't all faint and pass out when we read it, but it's still part of the same sentence telling us why we can be certain about these blessings, even though we can't fully see them now. Well, firstly, we can be certain because God is in complete control. Verse 11. God works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Purpose of his will. So what do we know about God's will? Well, we know in the Bible, God's will is talked about in two ways. There's God's sovereign will. So what he says will happen. So that's God's will. God wills something, it happens. And then there's God's moral will. So what God likes, what pleases God. And the heart of humanity's problem is that we, we go against God's moral will and reject his sovereignty. Um, but some people, in, I think, in trying to help us, have tried to explain away the presence of evil and suffering in the world by saying that God has somehow, I don't know, limited his rule uh, to allow us free will, and so it's just all, all our fault. Or, or maybe God's done a kind of a set and forget of creation, uh, leaving it to run its course, and, and then he'll pick up the pieces afterwards. And I think, yeah, I think people teach that in an attempt to comfort us when we're suffering, when we're, when we're feeling the consequences of evil or disease, or when we're going through such awful times that we can't see how we could possibly be part of a good God's plan in any way. That's the idea. But the problem with that idea is that so much of the Bible, including verse 11 in front of us here, tells us that God is in absolute, complete control. Nothing gets past him. Uh, You can't take a wrong turn and God has to compensate and change his plans to, to include to make sense of that. Um, God doesn't have a plan B or a plan Z. And if God isn't in control of everything, then our our confidence that he chose us and guarantees we're included in Jesus can be knocked. Because the two things are linked together in verse 11, aren't they? We're chosen having been predestined. And if God isn't in control of everything, when I do suffer... When I am hurt by evil, when I'm going through something I can't see the point of, I have to go through that thinking, well, maybe it really is pointless. Maybe that evil will go unpunished. That's not how it is. Embrace this truth. God works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his good, perfect, grace-filled will. So we can be sure of these blessings because God, everything um, conforms to God's will. Secondly, we can be sure of these blessings because we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. 
So let's be clear. If you are a Christian here today, you have already received God's Holy Spirit. Why can you be certain? Because you've been through a three-step process. Verse 13. You heard the message of truth. Uh, Someone, maybe many people, shared the gospel with you. And you heard it. You believed it. And so God sealed you with his Holy Spirit. And this gives us certainty because, verse 14, it's a deposit. It means that something else is coming. So if you chat to Lauren after the service, have a look at her finger, you'll see she's got a ring on it. It's, it's a sign that something else is coming. Now, Stephen's less reliable than God, but we, we, in faith, we believe it's going to be a wedding. Um, or it's like um, when I took out a mortgage to help the, you know, the banks get their record profits whilst the house prices go up, um, not bitter, um, I had to pay a deposit. So it's, it's a sign that I'm willing to part company with large amounts of money every month, um, but also it's part of the debt. It's a deposit to show that more is coming. Um, God's deposit of his spirit guarantees our inheritance, our being adopted, united under Christ. And it's not only that God claims us as inheritance, not only that, sorry, God claims us as his inheritance, his possession. So back in Deuteronomy, um, so you've got Israel from the wilderness going to the promised land, and God divides up different areas of the promised land for each tribe as their possession. So have a look at these verses, Deuteronomy 32, 8 and 9. When the Most High gave the nations their inheritance, when he divided up all mankind, he set up boundaries for the peoples according to the number of the sons of Israel. For the Lord's portion, so God's inheritance, is his people. Jacob, his allotted inheritance. That's the language being picked up here in Ephesians. Is that how you think of yourself? As the inheritance that God's given himself? Our salvation, which lavishes so much grace and blessing on us, which is unimaginably good for us, is ultimately for the praise of God's glory. So there's a lot we've been through there. So this beginning of Ephesians is pointing to things that picked up in the rest. So it's a lot to take in. But to sum up, what's our sort of overall application from this passage today? Well, praise God. So all the blessings he's given you are to the praise of his glory. So praising God with your words, with your heart, with your life. That's what you were made for. That's where everything is headed summed up in Christ and although these blessings are not yet fully realised or visible you are already in Christ that's your status sealed and guaranteed by God's spirit so live in light of that Uh, we'll get into how to live this out in in the second half of the letter Uh, but in all you do all you decide 
do it for the praise of his glory, certain that you are included in Christ. Verse 3 again. Praise be to God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Amen.